You're listening to Real Talk for Real Men, episode number 27. Welcome to the Real Talk for Real Men podcast. Lifestyle advice for men so powerful, you'll want to run your life on it. And now your hosts, Guy Mullen and Chris Field. All right, men, welcome back to another episode of Real Talk for Real Men. I'm Guy Mullen and I'm with Chris Field. Hi, everybody. Great to be back with you. It is good to be back. And Chris, what are we going to do today? I've had a thought that's been uh, scratching my brain, if you like, over the past week. And I've had a chance to talk to a couple of dads about it. And I thought it might be good Mm. to canvas this with you uh, and let our listeners just uh, listen in on our kind of picking our own brains. It's not the (laughs) No, 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 that's not the football. Goodness me. Now, I'm talking about the issue of what dads have to do, uh, the changing process and dynamic in a home, as children grow from little kids, toddlers, uh, younger age, through to that age where they want to be stepping into their adulthood. They want manhood or womanhood in their own freedom and responsibilities. And uh, dad has to navigate the whole dynamic of the family and see that um, it's working well and so on. And it's filled with all kinds of traps based on the kind of baggage we brought into Mm. the marriage and the family, uh, Mm -hmm. our own weakness and fears, insecurities, those sort of things. But also probably because a lot of us are just downright ignorant about a lot of these things. We stumble into them and then we find we've made a number of mistakes and we have to do patch up. So that's the kind of area I want to talk about. Um, And we might have a number of diversions of that, but that's that's where I'm looking to to sort of go today. Okay, so what sort of age group are we going to tackle here? Well, the truth is, as I think about it, I'm dealing in my mind with people that have got children maybe uh, from teenage years onwards Mm -hmm. uh, and having to kind of rethink the the, the way their family is working and what are the principles that you would apply for doing that. But it brings up uh, two competing um, focuses within the heart of a a parent, and particularly here we're talking to dad, so a father. Mm -hmm. And that is, of course, to care and protect, you know, to be the daddy, to be the one that picks up the child and the child feels safe to provide a world in which that child can blossom. So that's the care aspect of it. That's got to be balanced with a thing called responsibility. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. How to get the child to actually recognise that uh, they can't just expect dad to come and bail them out. They can't just expect that, oh, well, dad's got plenty of money or, um, you know, I'll make it dad's problem. And the dad's going to push it back to them and say, hey, that's your problem. I want you to take responsibility here. But balancing care and responsibility can actually be an issue for people right into their 80s. Um, And just to to explain what I mean there, I just talked today to an 84-year-old woman who was reflecting on the fact about whether her husband, who's now passed, gone six or seven years ago, whether he really did care or whether he'd actually dumped too much responsibility on her. And so I have experiences of talking to different uh, widowers, no, widows, I should say, women, who have actually been somewhat damaged by overly caring husbands who didn't prepare them for the challenge of widowhood and suddenly they've got an enormous amount of responsibility which they've never had to handle in their entire life. Mm. So this issue is not just relevant specifically to that um, children going through teenage years into adulthood but it reflects on the attitudes and opinions and focus of the husband right or the man as a parent and as a, a, a spouse as a husband right through the marriage. That makes sense. Yeah, so, I mean, we keep hearing about millennials, don't we? And about how they're staying at home longer and longer and, and sponging off mum and dad. Uh, my, my kids aren't old enough to do that yet, and you seem to have got rid of most of yours out of your home. You've still got a couple left, but 
so do you think this is just this aspect of balancing responsibility with care is is a modern problem or is it something which no, I think it goes back, back the other way. I think it goes back to the whole idea that it is our job as a dad to prepare our children for adulthood. Yeah. Uh, and so <clears throat> we intend to do that. It's in our mind we imagine we're going to produce competent, responsible adults. But the way, the way Darren Lewis talked about it when we had him on, he was talking about preparing them not just to be adults, but to be parents as well. Absolutely. To go right. all not the just way raising through. your kids up, but yep. to preparing them to be parents. But you think about it, depending on who we are, there are some dads out there that their favourite word is no. You know, so the three-year-old comes up and asks for something. No, you know, mm. and they come along at eight and ten. No, 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 you yeah. can't. You can't do that with your scooter. No, you can't go. You to can your tell with the look on their face. I can but, tell that with my son. He comes in. He's got a big grin on the face. He's got a sidekick just behind him. And, and your answer is and, no. And, and they've, they've just had a. They've just the paper scissors rocked to who was going to ask the question, and you know it's going to be no before they even ask it. But now here's the problem: there has to come a point when we learn to say yes, yeah. and that's the issue for the dad. And and it sort of messes with our mind. Like it's it's an issue of of how do we actually achieve that? Let me give you a specific example that helped maybe to focus this for me: homeschooling family. So because it was a homeschooling family, the dad was king of the domain. Because the kids didn't get out of the home. They didn't go off to a school and interact with other people in the same way that, that, that uh, um, kids going to a school would do. So the dad was able to establish his own kingdom. The children did what he wanted. They studied what he wanted. He answered their questions, he, and of course, with his wife. Um, and it was a very effective, very, very um, stimulating environment for the kids. And they grew really, really well. But finally, one of the children graduated to the point they needed to go up to get some tertiary education. Yeah suddenly they're making a foray outside of the home. That's a big jump. Well, suddenly they're seeing that this hero, mm. this man who knew everything, mm. doesn't know everything. Mm. Um, this guy whose opinion ruled everything about their whole life. And of lives. course he loved that. And of well, course he loved that, you know, being adored by your kids. Who doesn't like being adored by your kids? And and that takes, takes me back to my dad's experience, um, yeah. who was ex- explaining that his dad, who was a quarry worker, a really um, uneducated man, worked uh, dragging rocks out of a river and taking them to the quarry and getting them smashed. Um, and uh, he, his world was dominated by the opinions of the other men he worked with. He revered them. So everything that they said was what he came home that day and sat at the dinner table and told to his children. My dad was the oldest of three. And my dad swallowed everything that his dad told him because his dad was a hero. He was the dad. And uh, when my dad then left school and and was uh, starting work, he tells the story about getting on a train and traveling some distance and watching other people read the paper and having conversation with them to show them how much he knew, telling them all about what he knew about subject X, Y, Z. And the people turned around saying, no, that's screwy. That can't possibly... for the first time, he discovered that his dad's opinions were actually being challenged. Mm. And the people challenging what were his dad's opinions had far better take on the whole thing than his dad did. Mm. Now, you imagine what it's like for him to come back that day, then, that night, and sit at the dinner table and have the dad wax lyrical and spout out about what he knows and, and the son to know that's not right. So, it's, so this is a bit like somebody growing up in North Korea and all they hear is the propaganda coming through. I saw some posters the other day. North Korean posters with the North Korean football team winning the World Cup. Well, the furthest they ever got was the quarterfinals. Uh, And uh, the North Koreans winning at this and winning at that. And and so they've got this propaganda. They've got this this view which is coming through to them. And and then we get some people who defect. And all of a sudden, wow, things aren't painted quite the way. You say the dads dads can be like that. 
Well, absolutely. And I don't mean every dad will be, but it, but it, that kind of focuses the actual issue that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Your children, I'm talking to any father here, your child is going to get to the point where they have to re-evaluate their opinion of you. Mm-hmm. When they're younger, you're a hero. Mm-hmm. You, you're in, you, know, you could beat anyone else's dad in a fight, is the sort of stuff we would say in the, in the, in the playground at primary school. Uh, but there's going to come a point when they're going to say, you know, dad's really got a problem about that. Dad really doesn't understand that. And dad's politics or dad's um, ideas on subject X, Y, Z or dad's understanding of science or dad's approach to money is not as good as other ones that I've now been exposed to or that I've thought about myself. And and so now dad's moved from being the hero, the source of all meaning in the home, to being uh, a, almost a co-equal adult in the home. So we need to work through a transition. Absolutely. From being a hero who knows everything to being somebody who is more of a, a co-equal, a partner, if you like, partner in coaching the teen into the, into the adult years. Now, if the father is wise, if he understands this reality is going to take place, whether he likes it or not, mm. he can manage it and he can look at facilitating it. And there'll come a point when he'll say to the child, here is X, Y, Z amount of money. This is more than you've had to handle before, but your responsibility with this money this week is to do that and that. And I'll be calling you to account about that at some point or other to make sure you've done as you were supposed to so they can learn to handle money. Or I need you to make that telephone call. Or I need you to go to such and such a place and to pick up such a thing. All of these little adventures Mm. become experiences of the child discovering that they can interact with the broader world in an effective and a positive way. Mm. And that's what we would do in a workplace. You know, you get the new apprentice in and he doesn't know much. And and the the boss gives him various jobs to do, not because they have to be done, Mm. but the kid needs to do it. He needs to have the experience of having done it. Yeah. Yeah, I went and sat at the just a, a some very small example. Uh, my son was ordering something over the over the internet. It was getting sent in the post, something he really wanted. But I we sat at the we have to go pick up our mail from post office box. We don't we don't get it delivered to our house. Well, that's because you're way out here. Like, <laughs> yeah. People can probably hear the chooks crowing they in the prob- background. They probably can. But anyway, we're sitting in the car, and he said, oh, "Dad, can you go in and get my parcel for me?" I said, "No, you ordered it. You go and get it." And we sat mm. there for two or three minutes until we evaluated. Does his desire to go in and get it overcome his, his fear of of having mm. to stand at the counter and ask somebody and talk and interact with them? Yeah, and um, you know, it's just it's only a small thing, but our our kids need to learn that transition. And I guess when you're when you're homeschooling, there is that particular danger where your kids can be quite insulated from those those life experiences compared to kids that are thrust out at five or six into the school system and and have to learn to. To sink or to swim or sink. Yeah, look at any home, uh, whether they're homeschooled or, or schooled out in the system, that there are a whole bunch of things that, that are part of just learning the skills of life. And an intelligent mum will help the children, boys and girls, learn how to cook. Yeah. Um, a mother that wants to fuss over like a, a mother hen mm. will say, oh, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll mm. do it. And then by the time the kids are leaving home, they've never fried an egg, you know. Yeah. And, and wisdom says, if they're mm. really going to be prepared for life, you can't... That care factor, I mentioned care and responsibility earlier, that care factor can't smother them, can't mm. deny them the opportunity to take responsibility. Yeah. Worst case, or, or a, a serious bad case kind of situation is where the child is misbehaving at, at school or in some context in their football club or wherever they may be, and whenever they get reprimanded... The dad charges on down. How dare you do that to my kid? How dare you suspend him for a week? How mm. dare you mm. not allow him to play this weekend? Or whatever it may be. 
which is then teaches the child that hey, I don't have to be responsible. Yeah, yeah, someone's going to get me out of this mess. Yeah, yeah. So, so you're fed. Well, you've five kids that have grown up and got married. Mm-hmm. And you've got twenty-something grandkids. Your kids never had that jump off a cliff experience of. So, how did you do it? Well, you I think, seem to have done it pretty well. I think what I would be suggesting as a as a principle, right? Whether I did it well or not, I think probably in, don't get your kids on here and ask. Them. <laughs> we won't go there. Um, as we and understand that this process is going to take place, the the real recommendation is that you must nurture the relationship with the child. And the phrase that I, I love, and I'm going to just, it's not by any means original or unique, but uh, this phrase, I think, must be embraced in the mind of every dad, and as a husband and as a dad, that their family and their relationships and they themselves will continue to be a work in progress. And so this idea that I've got a bunch of kids and they all hang around me and think I'm a hero, I've arrived, is vain. It's mm. a shallow failure to perceive what's really going on mm. your relationship with your kids will be a work in progress until they're 18 you. and and then it'll be a work in progress until they're 30 it'll be a work mm. in progress until they're 50 mm. because the dynamic of the relationship between them and you will continue to change mm. and it'll change as they get older and perceive that you're not the hero or the, the that they thought you that you were uh, it'll change as they then get, enter into their own marriage and have children and discover that, oh, goodness me, you did a better job than I thought I could, you know. And that they all these things just create the need for us to embrace the relationships, the key relationships around us as a work in progress, which means we need to work on them. Otherwise, they're not a work in progress, right? So therefore, we have to stop and, and think about the fact, my kid's 15, for instance, it, it, hypothetically, some kid's 15, and you can feel that there's just a certain sort of um, bristling when, when you say no now. That when Before, when you said no, they'd say, oh, dad, and they just saunter off. But now when you say it, you can feel that their reaction has changed to what it was previously. And you think, okay, this needs a conversation. This needs some follow-up. Uh, an example then. A father says, what I'm doing is to protect you. The child says, what you're doing is to control me. And the parent says, no, no, what I'm doing is to protect you. And the child says, no, 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 what you're doing is to control me. Who's right? Well, how would you know? Every man's way is right in his own eyes. So we're always going to assume, I was only doing it to protect him. And we're going to justify ourselves. Mm. But if it's a work in progress, then we stop and think, okay, there's a difference of opinion here between me and my 15-year-old. And this is breaking fellowship here. Above all else, this is my kid and I want to be really close. I want to be the dad that this child needs me to be. I need to work on that relationship. Now, whether we go for a walk or a bike ride or we go and do something, sit and talk for an hour together or however we do it, I need to recognize that that the previous dynamic in our relationship as father to child has changed. And I have to be prepared to change and flow with that. I have to listen to them. I have to understand what's going on mm-hmm. and, and deal with that whole process. Mm. Now, one of the dads I was talking to this week and canvassing all these sort of thoughts uh, commented to me afterwards that a particular story that I told was to him solid gold. So I think I should tell this story okay. here. Okay. Many years ago, I was very blessed to have assistance from a, a senior pastor who really seemed to understand how to help people. And uh, sometime later, a person that had been a student of this this wise man whom I regard, uh, came to visit me. I knew who they were, and I knew that they'd been well benefited by the ministry of my dear friend. 
And I encouraged them. I said, you know, you should pass on what you know to other people. You should sit and, you know, one of the best ways to consolidate what you've learned is to teach it on. Why don't you organize to have some sessions with people and, and sit and talk to them and share with them the insights that you've gained? I thought that was a good idea at the time. And so in order for them to have a few people to talk to, I promoted it in my church. I sent my son, who was about 14 years old, to go and actually have a, a chat and a conversation, you know? My son came back from that conversation, walked into the room and said, Dad, I now know where all my problems come from. They come from you. <laughs> and I thought to myself, hey, who was this person having this conversation with my kid? Uh, and and uh, he wasn't angry. He was just sort of and possibly being a little bit funny about it. But he was reflecting something that as he discussed issues that he was trying to resolve, the person that was helping him and seeking to help him kept pointing out that the, the, the issues were really relevant to his relationship with me. Uh, I processed that over a couple of days and I had to sort of think that through. You know, this is my number one son. This is my, my oldest boy. And, and, and this feedback is coming to me that I'm actually a really major source of problems in his life. I would, no dad would want to be a source of problems in their kid's life. Uh, I would have hoped my kids would have come grown up perfect and said, oh, my dad was wonderful. So that was a kind of a, a, a reality check for me. But as I thought about it and I prayed about it, I come up with this rather remarkable uh, observation that there is no such thing as a perfect dad. And so every kid would have the right to be able to say to their dad at some point in the, their life, dad, you've let me down, dad. You, you are a source of some discomfort or pain or challenge or frustration or something for me because that's what we are. Or even simply, Dad, I don't agree with that. But whatever. And so I, I then realized that God knew before my son Stephen was ever born into any family, God chose he'd be born into mine. And God chose that the, that the dad who would frustrate him would be this dad, not another dad that he would be frustrated by my style, by my attitudes, by my programming, by my capacities and incapacities, they would frustrate him. And if God is sovereign and divine, we can expect that he probably knew that I was the best dad to frustrate him. I was the best dad to put him through the ringer because the way I would do it to him would it give him the opportunity to process who he is and his potential for good and evil in such a way that he would mature and respond and become the better person for it. So then the ball actually lands in his court. If he responds with God's grace, if he responds in the fear of God, if he responds by honoring me when he finds me frustrating, if he responds by honoring and obeying the word of God and applying his spiritual Christian faith to his experience of being a son to Chris and does it well, then he graduates with, with distinction and a whole bunch of, of potential potholes in his life are filled in and plastered over and, and repaired and remedied so that he can go on to being a husband and a wife much more effectively. If he responds with resentment, with bitterness, with frustration, with rebellion, with independence, he digs those holes in his life into great cavities that he takes into his own marriage and into his own parenting in years to come. Mm. And so when I recognized that, I was able to go into my son Stephen and say, hey, I was thinking for a couple of days about what you said the other day about how that I was the, your source, your biggest source of problems. And you know, that's true. And that's the way it's meant to be. I, would, I wouldn't want to think that anyone else had a more significant impact on you than I did. But that impact is going to be 
both positive and negative, and it is going to challenge you to be able to live the faith that you have and to walk with God through that, or to indulge your flesh, your selfishness, your anger, your frustrations, and give in to the enemy's grip and hold on your life. And so, yes, I am your biggest source of of problems and challenges, and I'm not afraid of that, and I'm not ashamed of that, and I'm not going to apologize for it. That's the reality God chose to put you in. Suck it up. (laughs) Deal with that in the most effective and propitious way because that's your ticket to high distinction graduation. Now, I probably elaborated on that more effectively than I did when I was talking to him, but that that then became a guiding principle for me. You know, uh, you've got some beautiful children and you've got some challenging children. They were given to you. They weren't given to me. Hmm. God, in his wisdom, chose that you and Anne-Marie would be parents for this group of kids, which means there's something sovereign, something supernatural, something wonderful in divine plan Hmm. about you and your kids. Yeah. And how you relate to them. Now, that probably means you're going to frustrate some of them by saying no all the time. Otherwise, I often think about that in terms of, and I talk, talk to my kids in terms of their relationships with one another. Right? Because I've got, I've got two which are a few years apart, but they're very similar. And I hate to admit it, but they're very similar, very stubborn, and they're great with one another. Right? And I'm always telling them, look, you guys are in this family. It's not an accident that you've got each other as a sister. That is part of... The training that you need to build your character, to be able to work through the challenges you're having now because you're going to need that later in life. And it's key how you respond. But now, but but you're adding this extra dimension saying, well, actually, it's not just your, your the siblings, the siblings yeah, grading yeah, yeah. with one another, but it's actually the problems that you have with dad are actually something which is important to your growth as well. Yes. Now, I don't think that should let us off the hook, right? Because no. the truth is, hmm. uh, if we can be ignorant and arrogant, hmm. then... Uh, we are going to do damage to our children. And we are told, do not exasperate Mm. your children. So it is possible for a father to handle their their position of power in the home in a way that is really not godly. Uh, Mm. So I'm not trying to absolve dads from from their responsibility. But all of that is what's been scratching in my head, the sense that that, um, I have not really uh, categorized and processed in my own mind the the course, you know, the, the Transition 101 program to help families and parents move through that, particularly dads. But as I realize, uh, cases of, of elderly women who were still struggling because of dads who didn't even help them transition as wives into the responsibility they one day needed to handle, I saw, goodness me, it's so easy for us to neglect this challenge mm. of maturely and wisely processing the transition dynamic that's going to happen in all of our lives. Mm. Now, let me tell you about Maisie. Maisie, a lovely lady that was in my congregation when I was pastoring many years ago. Uh, I never knew her husband, but not long before I took over the church, her husband had died. He was an incredibly loving man, and he did everything for her. She had never had to do anything. She knew nothing about the bank account. She didn't know anything about paying bills. She had never had to go down and post a letter. She was queen in her home and looked after like a princess. Anything she wanted, he would go down and buy it for her. He, she never drove. She never made a phone call, as it were. She just, he just did everything for her, lovingly uh, did everything for her. He was the ideal dream husband who just spoiled his wife, and he dropped dead. And then suddenly, she, she doesn't know anything, hasn't got a clue how to pay a bill. Uh, she would get a letter in the mail and have to go to her neighbors and say, what do I do with this? And they're looking at her saying, what's wrong with you, woman, you know? It's, it's a bill. You, well, how do I pay that? Well, down at the post office. How do you do that? You know, just completely ignorant. And the other women in the church who were her peers, 
um, were complaining to me about how stupid her husband was. I think they were a little jealous about how well he cared for her, but, but they saw the, the mess that she was in when he actually uh, was not there to do anything for her. Mm. Contrast that with a, a, a husband that I heard about just today, uh, a man who was pushing toward his 90s when he finally died, and he left his, his widow, and she had not had to do anything. Once again, she'd been very well looked after. But he actually left, he had printed out an instruction sheet for her. Monday, open this particular file. And she did, and everything she needed to think about for Monday was actually already pre-thought out, explained, catalogued for her. Tuesday, <laughs> you go to the other file, and it was everything that she needed, uh, particular days of the month when things had to be paid. He had catalogued, I don't know what kind of guy this was, pretty amazing, but he had catalogued everything out for her, and the transition was really easy for her because he had pre-programmed the, tra- the transition process. Well, is that good or bad? I'm not quite sure. I'm, I'm not trying to make a doctrinaire out of this so much mm. as dads, husbands, fathers, think about this issue. Mm. Come, come, Start chewing it over with your wife. Talk to your kids about it. This is, a, this is a serious process. And some people get kids who slam the door and leave the home and never come back because they failed in the transition process. They have other children that grow up sort of resenting them anyway, even though they might still come to Christmas and you know be around the family because they feel like dad let them down in a certain way. All sorts of pitfalls. Start so, so you're saying think ahead 10, 15, 10 years, think about whether it's your child or whether it's your wife and think about, well, what happens when they've left home and maybe they're married or maybe they're not or maybe shock horror, they got married and the marriage has fallen apart. How have you prepared them to be able to cope and not just cope with the world, but actually thrive and live well in the world? Yeah, and to process life and also to process the relationship with you. Mm. Dad, you want your 47-year-old kid to come up to you and put his arms around you and say, Dad, thanks. Mm. You you want your 22-year-old kid to come up and and throw their arms around you and say, Dad, thanks. That's what you're going to want all the way. You want your grandkids to be a vital part of your life because your, your children are vital parts of your life. And you do that, you've got to build that relationship. But you know, our biggest danger, probably, I'd have to admit this has been my greatest failing, is complete preoccupation with myself. Whatever the project was that I was on about, the new job, the moving house, this totally preoccupied me and the children were not going to help me get the job. They weren't going to help me with the new home. They weren't going to help me with my latest project, or they might do odd jobs, but they weren't going to be, they weren't at the cusp of whatever my challenge was. And I was blazing ahead with my life and my vision and my achievements, and they were ancillary to that. They were, they were caught up in the, in the tail of the comet somewhere. And when really, they were far more precious than that. And I wasn't listening to them. I wasn't tuning into them. I wasn't capturing where they were at. Occasionally I did, praise God, but if I could do it all over again, I would actually put them in front of me and, and be pushing myself into their world in a relationship with them instead of leaving them behind me and saying, try and keep up, kids, if you can. You know, I jokingly said to someone down the street recently who had an annoying child, I said, my mother used to say, don't walk beside me. I don't want anyone to know you're my kid. <laughs> if we were hair was messy and we were covered in dirt or dust or whatever. And, of course, she loved us dearly, but it was just that sort of sense of leaving the child in, in the, the tail of the, of the comet. Uh, the example that tickles my mind, I should mention to you, my wife and I were driving somewhere, and I don't remember when, I just remember this incident took place. And uh, one of my children, I uh, had five boys originally, uh, before a break, before my daughter and son were born, 
And uh, one of those five, I think the number four or five, in the car was traveling with us and they said something to their brother in the back behind me. I was driving, concentrating on the road, but I heard the conversation. And immediately something deep inside me kind of hurt. I knew that what they'd said was signaling not just an annoyance, but they were signaling something about who they were and what they were wrestling with at that point in their lives and that time. And I remember saying to my wife, I'm going to have to find time to take that boy out for a chat and just find out and relate to him and, and try and get him to tell me what it is that's actually causing that, that deeper level of, of frustration or something happening inside him. And when that actually happened, I, I felt like a hero. I thought, wow, I, I'm actually perceiving the needs of my kids before they're necessarily in my face. But the truth is, I've got so few examples of that that, that I can still testify about that one as if it, it's significant. Right? I wish I could have been just more attuned to them all the time and honestly been more interested in them all the time. So I think selfishness, self-distraction with our projects and what we are doing is the greatest killer to us managing that transition well. Suddenly we wake up and we've got ourselves a 16, 17, 18-year-old on our hands who's confronting us with challenges because they feel we haven't been listening to them. And the truth is we haven't been listening to them. And they feel like we haven't really cared about their hopes and aspirations. And the truth is we haven't cared about their hopes and aspirations. And they're complaining that that, that, that we're still treating them like a child. And the truth is, we're still treating them like a child. You know, everything they're saying is true. And we go into defensive mode. Oh, no, 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 no. But, the, but what they've said is true because we haven't managed the transition. Mm. And so I'm just wanting to, to prick the conscience and prompt the heart of dads and say, think about that. Okay, so three or four practical, in the couple of minutes we've got left, three or four practical steps that dads can do to put this into practice. You want to come up with, up with well, one and then I'll do one. Okay, I'll say certainly be aware of the issue and start thinking about it. So how do you do that? Well, I think just listening to what we've said and okay, just stopping and thinking about it. Talk to your wife about it. We've done that and then yeah. what? Well, you said you're going to do the next one. <laughs> okay, I'll do the next one. So I think the next thing is to ask questions. Yeah, okay. Ask questions of your wife. Ask questions of your kids. Yeah. Ask them, what am I doing well? What am I not doing so well? Good. That's, and I, that's firstly about... And, yeah. and you'll probably, the kids and your wife will probably come up with things that are already in the back of your mind that you're not doing well already. Yeah. But also ask them about what's going on in your life. Ask them what questions and how questions, not ones with, not, not why questions, which they're going to make them defensive. So why are you doing that? Why is that happening? But things like, you know, what's going on in your life right now? What's, what's your number one issue right now? Mm-hmm. What's upsetting you? What's, uh, what are you enjoying about life right now? Uh, what's what's troubling you about what's happening in the family? Mm-hmm. Um, what am I doing as a dad, which is annoying you? Mm. You know, what and how questions start yeah. to find out about what's going on inside them. So, and I would now come you. on to add to that um, to be real and to be transparent. I was going to do that one next. Oh well, yeah, I beat you to it. <laughs> but because I think that when our children start challenging us, especially yeah. when a child who was always just saying yes, daddy, now says why, mm. daddy? Or, how come, daddy? There's a certain sense of reaction that can be resentful on our part. We can feel defensive. We can feel uh, uh, insecure about where this is all going to go. And so we tend to go back into shut down, dig ourselves into the trench mode instead of actually saying, wow, that's a great question. And yeah, let become open and transparent. So we need a transition from when our kids are little, we can just say, well, no, we're not doing that today. Just because, because daddy, daddy says, says so. <laughs> yeah. But we need to transition 
to, okay, well, this is why I've come up with this decision. You may not agree with what I'm saying, but this is the reason why I've got this, I've made this decision and help them to understand what your thinking is and how you come about with it. Yes. And I don't think that's going to be comfortable. Um, you know, I don't know that that's always For some men, to... it's not. No, no I don't. Well, Particularly if, you're, topic if, if you're used to all your life just having that authority yeah. in your home and just saying, no, it's the way it is, I say so. Yeah, but this has to become courageous conversations. If mm. you don't have that conversation, the child will say, okay, I'll put up with your despotic rule until I can leave home. As soon as I can, I'm getting out of here, I'm going to do something different. And that's not what you want. No. You're not schooling them to rebel. You're schooling them to actually embrace your values and to, to live them in their own home. And if you're dictatorial, they're more likely to just react and rebel than ever embrace those things and put them upon their own children. And the other thing about transparency is tell them stories about your mistakes. Yeah. I think that's something which is very powerful. And I've tried to do at age appropriate level. Well, you've got so many mistakes. <laughs> I do. I've got a bank, a bank that's, that's so big. That's true of all of us, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I've got a bank that's so big that uh, I've got plenty to draw upon. And especially when I'm talking to my kids about the trouble I got into when I was their age, mm. that's particularly what I can draw on. But helping them to see that, hey, dad's not perfect. Dad's made a lot of mistakes and sort of, it's nice to have that mystique, but we need to transition them out of that mystique of dad being infallible and helping them to see, well, dad was actually my age once too. Dad was actually, he understood what it was like to have his hormones raging and, and going nuts, mm-hmm. you know, and dad understood what it was like to wanting to get on and not on with the world and not wanting to do his maths and, mm-hmm. you know, so they don't, they don't, so you don't have that huge big generation gap that they understand. Okay. And now I'm going to put the next one, one in here. I think we have to introduce our children to the most powerful antidote in the world, and that's grace. Mm. You know, every single one of us is desperately dependent on God's grace Mm. all the time. Mm. And in our home and in our marriage and with our kids, we desperately need grace. Mm. And if we will be graceless toward our kids, we Mm. can't expect them to give grace to us. And sometimes those stories you're talking about are times where you say, look, despite the stupidity, despite the immaturity, despite the hole I dug for myself, God was gracious, mm. which lets them know that at times when they slip up, they too can find that grace. Mm. And I think make sure that they're really well acquainted with and feel confident in accessing God's grace. Now, mm. the downside of that, as Paul warned us in Romans, is that you can take grace and abuse it. Oh, well, I'm going to be let off the hook by grace, so... Let's sin that grace may abound, as it were. Hmm. But nonetheless, we must introduce our children hmm. to, a, to a, a family and a home and a dinner table where grace is prevailing. That pleasing mum and dad is not works-based. And that pleasing God is not works-based. They have, they, have, they have our love and they have God's love irrespective of what they do. No, of course we don't like it when they make the wrong decisions and get themselves into a whole lot of mess and hurt but that doesn't stop them being loved and accepted absolutely and remember as we come close because i think we're running out of time mm. here but uh we, we're actually balancing developing responsibility in them we want mm. them lovingly and in with in a mature way in the fear of god to take responsibility for their lives but we also want to protect them and we want to guide them so there'll be moments where we'll we'll struggle with that balance. And the common complaint in a home is that by the time the dad has finally weakened and allowed the older children, the 15, 16, 17, 18-year-olds, do something that's always been denied, that crosses a hurdle in our mind and we sort of let go of a certain objection 
And then we start letting the 13 and 14 year olds join in with the 17 or 18 year old in whatever it was, you know, going off to have a swim at the, at the, at the creek or whatever. And the older ones say, well, you wouldn't let me do that when I was their age. And our normal rejoinder is to say, yes, but they, you didn't have an older brother or sister to look after you. But the, these inequalities occur, you know, where, where we seem to change our value proposition as we, as we deal with our own discomforts and misgivings. So in the, the whole balance of all that is to say we are trying to teach them responsibility and we want to also protect them. And we won't do it well and say to the kids, listen, I'm not going to do this very well. Hopefully you as a dad or as a mum will do it better than I can do it. Mm. But in the fear of God and before God, I've got to do the best I can. And I'm sorry that it annoys you, but every time I annoy you, it's probably a gift. <laughs> I was sharing this just recently with a, an elderly woman about husbands and, and, and wives that, that were well cared for. And I made the comment that uh, a husband who... who um, gives you a lot of responsibility is actually giving you a gift because mm. you're learning. She said, well, my husband gave me lots of gifts. I don't think I ever got any care off him at all, just responsibility. And I thought, isn't that sad? You know, that, that even not just with our kids then, but with our wife in future years, as she gets to an older age, will she feel that the husband actually still cares about her? Or is he saying, well, you go to the school and talk to the, the teachers about that. You, you do this one. You pay that bill. You fix that. You go and talk to the in-laws. You this. And, and what we're really doing is dumping on them responsibilities, but we're not actually providing care. So while we talk about husbands that were overly caring and the wife was at sea when they were gone, we also have uh, many a wife who's basically had to go and save the family single-handedly because the husband just wouldn't accept responsibility. Mm -hmm. So guys, right through your life, let's keep that balance in the fear of God between care and responsibility. Okay, so speaking of responsibility, the good news and the bad news is well, the good news is that Chris has shared something pretty powerful with you today, and uh, it's it's something which you need to go away and think about because it can really make a big difference in the lives of those you love. The bad news is you can't just sit on it. It's no good unless you go away and actually do that contemplation yeah. and uh, and put it in, into action. And listen, if you're brave way. enough, let your wife listen to this podcast maybe let your older teenage kids listen to this why not and ask her ask her a question ask her a question how do i sit on the balance between yeah care, care and responsibility? Yeah. Responsibility. Yeah, how, how would you rate me on that balance yeah. wow this yeah. could this could lead to another whole <laughs> enterprise thanks, all right thanks for letting me share that all right thank you men for uh, listening that's been a blessing. It's been a challenging session. There's some things to go away and think about for for me and why I'm handling uh, raising my kids and interacting with my wife. So I hope you have too. Don't forget to come over to the website www.realman247.org, and we'll see you on Facebook as well. And we'll see you next time. Catch you next time. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to the Real Talk for Real Men podcast at www.realmen247.org.